0: Father, we just thank you so much for uh, your word. We thank you for the teaching gift and the teaching anointing. Jesus, the teacher, come. I pray Holy Spirit, possess this time. Instruct and impart. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is elementary foundational teachings or doctrines, elementary foundational teachings or doctrines. Our primary key scripture is going to be found in Hebrews chapter five, verse 11 through six. I'm going to read that and then just elaborate a little bit. Um, It is a titled. In the NKJV, it's titled this way, A Call to Spiritual Growth. Starting in verse 11, Hebrews chapter 5, it says this, There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Teaching others what? Then he goes on to say this, instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. So he's saying, by now, you as a believer, you ought to be able to teach others. Teach what? The basic things. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. So it's safe to say that we cannot become mature in our understanding of Christ, unless we have the basic teachings. Paul's even saying, unless we have such an understanding and a comprehension of the basic teachings, that we should be able to teach others. And then at that point, we can then move on and begin to mature. So he says this, Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms. Notice that's plural. The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Another translation puts it this way. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, And of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Again, that's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 6. Again, he lists six elementary principles or elementary teachings or elementary doctrines, if you will, you, you know, the Bible says this, the, the, the foundation of the church, right, is Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone, all right, and the apostles and the prophets. The Bible talks about in Acts about the early church in that one of the things that they did, they were noted that they adhered to the doctrine of the apostles, the teachings of the apostles. And these were the things that Christ commissioned the apostles to go forth teaching first. Hey, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all things I have shown you, I have taught you. And these were the things that they would go in and teach. When apostles would go into a city and plant a church, they would teach these things. They would make sure the believers had these things down, solid, down pat, and then they would raise up leaders who lived these things and could teach these things also. Does that make sense? So so again, Paul, which I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, that's debatable. So when you hear me say Paul said, uh, it's debatable. And, and, you know, no big issue, not an issue of salvation. If you don't agree, we can agree to disagree. Uh, But you'll often hear me say Paul said, because, again, I believe personally that Paul wrote Hebrews. Or we can say the author of Hebrews writes that for us to mature and move forward, again, we must be able to so comprehend and understand these things that we can teach others ourselves. These are foundational doctrines, foundational teachings. You know, you don't go on to build a house without first securing and laying the foundation. That must be solid and secure. It's really, really hard To go on and build a house and then come back behind and refix or readjust or address a foundation once a whole house is built. So again, we need to go ahead and get solid on these things and then we can move on to maturity. I would say it's safe to say there are many in the body of Christ that have not matured, that have been at a stale place Four years, and I would say according to what we just read, the very reason they're not maturing and not growing is because they don't have these things on lock. They don't have an understanding of these things. They don't have an ability to teach these things. Meaning what? If you, as an individual believer, were to personally lead someone to Christ, do you have enough understanding of these things to then take them out to lunch, take, bring, invite them over to your house, get to know them, and adequately teach and impart these doctrines to them so that they can grow in their faith. That's what this is about. That's what really the heart of this teaching is to do is so that you can go out and teach it yourself. So again, what are these six elementary principles? Well, we're going to be covering all of them, but they're listed as this, repentance from evil deeds, faith in God, baptisms, again, that's plural. It's baptisms in water in spirit and fire. We're going to take a look at that. The doctrine of laying on of hands. Did you know that's an elementary doctrine? We often don't even hear teaching on this. We'll see it demonstrated in in some circles and and whatnot. Obviously, we demonstrate it here. uh, But we're really going to look at that so that we can understand it. And something happens, man, when we understand it. And we couple that with faith. And we understand that the power of God moves that way. Man, I'm telling you, watch. And also, your level of being able to receive through the laying on of hands, because you have an understanding, and you can put your faith in that understanding. Resurrection from the dead. Resurrection from the dead. We're going to look at that. That Christ rose, the firstborn from the dead, in that when you were buried in baptism, the Bible says you died and rose in Christ. And now we are alive forevermore. Do you know that if you are born, man, I feel the Holy Spirit. I feel the anointing of God on this. Do you understand that if you are born again, resurrected from the baptism, that you have already entered eternity? You have already started eternity. Well, when we all get to heaven, my spirit has heaven in it. Amen. My spirit has so much heaven in it that when this temporary mortal tent dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My spirit has so much heaven in it that as soon as this tent is done and over with, I'm in heaven. That's how resurrected I am. And I'll return one day and receive a new body. Amen? We're going to look at that. We're going to look at eternal judgment. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Eternal judgment. There is an eternal judgment. There is hell and then the lake of fire. There is heaven and then the new earth. Many preach that we'll, we're going to spend uh, eternity in heaven. We're not. And you say, blasphemy. No, I say, read the Bible. <laughs> the Bible says heaven and earth shall pass away. And behold, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that's where we'll spend eternity, in new Jerusalem. The Bible says that hell will be cast into the lake of fire. And that's the second death. And those who were cast into hell and those who did not receive Jesus or put in their faith, hope, and trust will burn forever in the lake of fire. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is eternal judgment. We're going to touch on that. We're going to look at it rightly as the apostles would teach. We're not going to be lazy in our language. I said we're not going to be lazy in our language. I don't want to take the Bible and 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 do I, do obviously do some words mean different things now and I understand that trying to reach people but I want the the Bible to change my language I don't want my language to change the Bible does that make sense I don't want to dumb down the Bible because somebody understands well brother you don't want to spend eternity in hell if I say that to you I'm actually teaching you wrong doctrine because they wouldn't spend eternity in hell. Brother, you don't want to go to you don't want to go to hell and then be cast in the lake of fire. That would be doctrinally correct. Brother, if you put your faith, hope in Jesus, if you're to die before he returns, you'll be with him in heaven and return with him and live forever in the city of bliss. That's good doctrine. That's truth that will set you free. And it's truth rightly. And so we want to understand these things so that we can grow up and mature and teach rightly. Th- what does the word elementary b- uh, mean? Well it's a, it's actually taken from the Greek word uh, Arco. I believe I' I'm, I'm, uh, Arco, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Forgive me if I murdered it. but it means this <laughs> to be first, to be chief, to be the leader, the ruler, the beginning, the corners, domain elementary, first. The first preaching, the principalities, think of that, properly from the beginning in the temporal sense, i.e. the initial starting point, figure leave what comes first and therefore is chief and foremost. It has the priority because it is ahead of the rest. It is preeminent. These are the preeminent teachings. These are the head of everything you learn in Christ, These are the preeminent doctrines. This is what we ought to have down pat, the beginning, the foremost. Uh, What is a principle or a doctrine? It's the word lego. You know, like your Legos, the little kids have that you put together. It's pronounced very similar in Greek, lego. It's addressing, asked, bring charges, call, called, a calling, claimed, a command, a designated, ordered, To tell a thing spoken, to be told originally, to lay down to sleep. That's an interesting meaning. Used later of laying an argument to rest. Bringing a message to closure, properly to say, to speak, moving to a conclusion, to bring it to closing or laying to rest again. So this is literally the preeminent teachings that lays everything else to rest. Meaning this, when I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelations, these things put any argument to rest. Anything else that may try to come up and contradict what I have read and learned here should be laid to rest by these doctrines. These first cornerstone teachings by Christ and the apostles. The church built off these foundational truths. The Bible calls the church the pillar and ground of truth. This is the foundation of that ground. Very key, very important. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. He says, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. In this, in it, or sorry, it is this good news that saves you. If you continue to believe the message I told you, Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. That's very interesting. He's saying if you believe it, not only if you believe it, but if you believe it in the way in which I told you it to be in the first place. Very interesting. He said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures scripture said he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as scripture said. It's interesting because there's faith in God, Christ dying for our sins. There's repentance, Christ dying for our sins, right? Burial and the resurrection of the dead. He's mentioning two or three of the elementary doctrines right there telling you that he passed on what was most important. Showing you that, in fact, all of them were in agreement. It was passed on to him from Christ Jesus. And then Paul himself went to uh, the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem and presented his 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 gospel and his doctrine that he was teaching. And they looked it over and they said, yep, everything flawless. You're good to go. Keep going. This is what he's saying. I passed on to you what is most important. So listen, we can get all caught up in dreams and visions. I love that we teach that here. Prophecy, healing, healing. Casting out of devils. We preach that here. But really, all of that is wrapped up in all six of these anyway. It must be founded and rooted in them. But these this is what's most important. We can get all off into church offices and functions, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, deacons, elders, you know, all that, want to study out all that. That's great, healthy, good. Even, even how to have a healthy marriage, how to have healthy relationships, all those things are good. But this, Paul says, are the most important. This is what we want to have now. And then from this place, everything else will begin to flow and we'll be able to grow in our faith from this. So the first one we're going to go ahead and roll right into and touch on tonight uh, is repentance from evil deeds. Repentance from evil deeds. The word repentance in the Greek is the word metaneo. Metaneo. It means to change one's mind. It or purpose. Its usage is like this. I repent, change my mind, I change the inner man, particularly with reference to acceptance of the will of God. So again, it's not just I change my mind into anything, it's I change my mind into the will of God. I repent. Meta is is one of the root words, means changed after being with. That's very interesting changed after being, after being with who? God. My mind becomes changed. And noia, metanoia, noia, to think properly, think differently after. It's after a change of mind to repent, literally to think differently afterwards, to feel sorry that one has done this or that, of having offended someone used especially of those who, conscious of their sins and with manifest tokens of sorrow, are intent on obtaining God's pardon, to repent, to change one's mind for the better, heartily to amend with arborance of one's past sins, to conduct wor- conduct sorry worthy of a heart changed and arboring sin, to withdraw or turn one's soul from sin, Followed infinitive indicating purpose. Following, followed infinitive indicating purpose. Meaning what? Meaning I, I meet with God and in meeting God by his grace, by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, I repent. I turn and change the way I think. And I no longer agree that what I thought was right is right if God says it's wrong. I change the way I think. I thought this was okay. God says it's not. I don't argue with God. I agree. That's repentance. I turn away. I turn from my old way of thinking, and I think rightly as God thinks. Here's my definition. To wholeheartedly turn away from the ungodly and to cling to that which is godly. So when God the Holy Spirit speaks to you and highlights something you're doing in your life and says, This is not my way. It's to turn from that way and then say, Well, Lord, what is your way? And He shows you by divine revelation, and then you choose to begin to walk on it. That is repentance. Evil deeds. What are evil deeds? Necros. It's actually the same word, if you've ever heard the word necromancy, that's where we get it, the 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 art of summoning the dead, dead things, to ra- raise up dead things. That's where we get that word from, necros. It means dead, lifeless, subject to death, mortal. Uh, the noun is this, a dead body, a corpse, an adjective derived from necius: a corpse, a dead body, dead, literally what lacks life. Think about that. It's literally what lacks life, dead figuratively, not able to respond to impulses or perform functions, unable, ineffective, dead, powerless, unresponsive to life-giving influences, opportunities, inoperative to the things of God, destitute of life, without life, inanimate destitute of a life that recognizes and is devoted to God because it's given up to trespasses and sins. My definition, very simple. Anything Jesus wouldn't do or the old man would. Anything Jesus would not do or that the old man would do. It's very simple. Uh, Dead things. I want to highlight this part where it says uh, it what lacks life, what lacks life, unresponsive to life-giving influences. So the repentance to change one's mind about what the way one thinks from dead things, right? Things that are void a life-giving source. Who is life? Jesus is life. I am the way, the truth. In the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. He is life. It, it could could also read things that don't produce fruit. For we know the life of Christ in us produces the fruit of the Spirit, right? The Spirit of Christ could read the Spirit of life if Christ is life, right? So the fruit of the Spirit would be the fruit of life. If s- the wages of sin is death and those things are dead works, the opposite then are the wages of the spirit, which is life. The manifestation of patience, kindness, goodness, peace, self-care. So one could say in the doctrine of repentance from dead works uh, that, <laughs> that I am turning from anything that is not producing the fruit of the spirit in my life. And turning to. Because that's the thing about repentance. It's not only a turning from, it's a turning to the things that do, in fact, produce life. So those are dead things. What are works? It's the word ergon in Greek. Uh, It's a work, a task, employment, a deed, an action, that which is wrought or made a work. Uh, It's from the word ergo. It means to work or to accomplish, a work or a worker who accomplishes something. Uh, a work is a is a deed or an action that carries out, completes, an inner desire, intention or purpose, an action, behavior. That's very interesting. A deed, deeds, doing, effectual, labor, result, a task, what is done, work, works, any product, whatever, anything accomplished by hand, art, industry, or mind. Think about that. So repentance from evil deeds or dead works would be this to turn from anything in life whatsoever. Again, that is not producing the life of Christ, whether it be accomplished by my hand, whether it be something in the arts or the industry. If I'm watching a movie that's producing death in me. Um, And again, this is by the leading of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to come in here and put again and bring you under the yoke of bondage unto the law. The law was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. We are now under the law of love, the law of grace, and the law of the Spirit. That is what we are under. Each one of you is on a different journey with Christ right is right and wrong is wrong we're not talking about that but what god is in dealing with you in this season may not be what god is dealing with me in my season does that make it right or right or wrong or wrong no no that doesn't mean my wrong is right or your you know right is wrong it doesn't mean that it means god's giving grace and mercy and we like like little children are growing up in the lord I don't go to a three-year-old and expect them to act like an 18-year-old. I'm not giving my one-year-old, which, by the way, it's her birthday today, but I'm not giving my one-year-old the keys to, uh, to my car to go drive. I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to expect her, if she doesn't know how to go crank a car and pull it out of the driveway and, and make a, a um, you know right-hand turn and use her blinker, I'm not going to get upset about that. She may be violating the law. You see what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to get mad because she's a baby. Babies are going to be babies. So we're not talking about that. But what we're saying is that say you're, you're watching a movie or something and the Holy Spirit knocks on you and say, hey, is this producing life? you now have an opportunity to repent and line up with what he says and say, oh, it probably isn't producing life, so I can shut it off. Let me turn it off. And instead, I'll go put on worship music, or maybe I'll watch a cleaner movie that maybe will produce life, or maybe you're watching a movie, and God starts speaking to you through that movie or through that through a music or whatever, and it's life-giving, and you've repented towards that. Does that make sense? Um, me, I, I've told shared many times a story. I played video games, and Didn't necessarily believe don't still don't necessarily believe that they were evil or are evil. I mean, obviously, there's some pretty sick games out there. I mean, I mean, uh, the the, uh, we're not talking about the obvious stuff. But for me, I was playing I think it was Call of Duty Wildlands or Tom Clancy's Wildlands. I think that's what it is. But loved it, man. I mean, you could go in my mind the way it works. I mean, strategies, thinking things out, plotting ways to go in and attack. Man, I loved it. You had a, a four-man, um, you know, a squad. I mean, you would, you would get this attack team. I'd have a sniper over here. You know, I'd have a heavy machine gunner over here. I'd have a rocketeer over here, and there'd be me with my assault rifle or sniper rifle. And I could command each one to pick a target, and we would operate in sync. Bam, take them all out. And then I had to think out pre-strategize how to infiltrate. I mean, I loved it, played to my builder mindset that God has given me, you know, the way that I'm wired. Loved it. Another game I, p- I played, I think it was um, Fallout 4 or whatever, and you literally went in and rebuilt society. It was decimated from uh, from nuclear fallout, and you had to go in and build all these things and create a society. And you could be good. Like you made good choices and people knew you as a good person. Like I love that, man. I got to help people in this game. You know, It just played to that desire to help people in real life. Um, and so was it necessarily evil? No. But what I noticed is that I would get s- caught up in this game and I would spend hours in this game and I started to notice that I became a little bit uh, quicker tempered. I became a, a little bit more Easily agitated with my, leave me alone, I'm trying to get this. uh, uh." And it would, in the character, the fruit, the life-giving spirit of Christ began to dwindle. It became to me a dead work. And ultimately, what caused me to give that up was not the right or wrong. But it was, does this make me more like Christ or not? Does this produce the life of Jesus in my life? Does it? Does it cause me to be more angry, easily offended? Love is not easily agitated. Love is easygoing. You know that, right? Love is patient and kind and gentle, full of self-control. I'd lose it. I go, oh, I grab that controller. That's not the spirit of God. <laughs> Some of us might need to quit driving. Amen. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> No, yeah, well, I'm just teasing. (laughs) But do you understand what I'm saying, what a dead work is? Do you understand this? So now when we teach others and we talk to them about repentance, yes, it's repentant from from sin, but why? Why do we repent from sin? Why is sin bad? Because its wages are death. Its wages are death. It's not just bad because, well, God said so. Sure, God said so, and he's God. And he, If anybody has a right to s- just because I said so, it's God. But God, God tells us not to commit sins because he knows the damage they do to us. It's actually from a place of love that God commands us to not sin in the first place because he knows what it does to us, what it produces. It produces death. If they're dead, evil works. And God came, Jesus Christ came to give us life and what? Life more abundantly. And so this is the doctrine of repentance from dead works, from evil deeds. Uh, now we're going to go ahead and, and jump right into the next one because uh, this one we're going to camp out on. Because this one is, whoo-hoo, is like, I mean, it's our faith. It's what we believe and we need to camp out here. So we're just going to touch it a little bit tonight uh, and then we'll close up and then we'll we'll pick back up next week. Uh, but it I mean let me tell you, uh, this one we have to we have to get we need repentance by all means we need repentance. but how can you repent even with without faith? If you you can't because if you don't believe rightly, if you don't believe the gospel, If you don't believe Jesus, if you don't believe that, why would you ever even begin to think about repenting? If you don't believe that Jesus is Lord, if you don't believe that there's a a heaven, a hell, a lake of fire, and a new heaven and new earth, and there's eternal bliss promised for you, why in the world would you want? If you don't believe that Jesus came and died for us, that he shed his blood, that you can have the forgiveness of sins, why would you repent in the first place? So let's take a look at faith. This is the doctrine of faith in God. We're in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe. That he is God and, somebody say and, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That means you must not only believe God is who he says he is, but will do what he says he'll do, and that his way is the only way. This is faith. To believe that God is who he says he is, will do what he says he'll do, and that his way Is the only way. You must not only believe that Jesus is Messiah, but also that his nature and character is good. You must believe he's merciful and kind. You must also believe that he's a just God, that he's the judge of all the earth. Oh, but he's a sweet Savior. He's also a rewarder. But what is faith? In the Greek, it's the word pistis. That's how you say it. It's belief, trust, confidence to be properly persuaded. Like this. I have already been persuaded. It is an in-birthed persuasion. It is not a mental decision. Let me say that. It is not a mental decision. It is an in birth persuasion. The Bible says that to each one has been given a measure of faith. You did not wake up one day and decide today I'm going to have faith. The Holy Spirit came to you most most likely. Most likely. Do we have moments where there's a a, a Paul to Saul encounter where Jesus comes himself and yeah, but you better believe, though, that, that Saul already knew the Bible. He had the Word of God already implanted in him. Jesus came to him directly and released the faith to believe what was already inside of him. But each one of us hear the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, the implanted Word, the Bible says, that is able to save our souls. And when this happens... The Holy Spirit comes and he implants faith to believe the very words that we're hearing. And then he convicts us of their truth. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He comes and convicts and convinces. We didn't do it. He doesn't. But he's a gentleman about it, really, typically. There are occasions he's not. Praise God, because some of us needed that little bit of a harder hit. But typically, he's open-handed with it. He gives you the ability to believe, and he opens your eyes and your ears. It's where um, Jesus would say they have eyes, but they do not see, and ears, but they do not hear. Who in the world then fixes that problem? The Holy Spirit fixes that problem. This is why Paul says, I pray that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that you would have eyes that see and ears that hear. Jesus mentions it in Revelation. He says, salve for your eyes that you can see. So the Holy Spirit comes along in the preaching and the teaching of the word. And he gives us spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear what he would say. And then holds it out. And that's through faith, the ability to believe. I just said it a minute ago. It's an in-birth persuasion. He gives you an in-birth persuasion in your spirit that supersedes your mind. When there's an in-birth persuasion, it's from your spirit, not your mind. It supersedes your mind. And you believe. And he holds it out and he says, here's this truth about Christ. Here's this truth about you. Will you take it? It's amazing because he gives you the ability to make the choice, but does not make you make the choice? It's a mystery. This is a mystery of our faith. Like Paul said, it's been given us as stewards of the mysteries of God. This is a mystery of faith that the Holy Spirit gives you an ability to make a choice, but does not make it for you? What a good God. Well, that's love, man. Love does not control or force anyone. Love invites and empowers and equips you to make the right choice, but leaves it up to you to make it. What a good, kind God. You know, that's the mystery of our faith. So he comes along and you hear the word that Jesus died on the cross for my salvation, that by his stripes I'm healed, that the chastisement of our peace is upon him. And he holds that out and he says, hey, You may be dealing with anxiety, you may be dealing with uh, pain, you may be dealing with depression, but here's some faith, an ability to believe, and here's a truth that you don't have to deal with depression. You don't have to deal with anxiety, but you must choose to take hold of this faith that I've given you and believe it. This is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What a good God that he gives you the very ability you need to please him. Your ability to make God happy isn't even contingent upon you. It's contingent upon his ability he has given you. Your part is simply to take it, to receive it. Salvation is the free gift of God, right? Right? We said it several times when talking about repentance from dead works. Uh, uh, The wages of sin of death, but eternal life is the free gift of God. For those who what? Believe. With this faith he gives us. Everything works by faith in the kingdom. This is how it works. Everything comes by faith. And that faith has to be rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ. That faith has to be rooted right here in Romans chapter 5. Listen to this. Romans chapter 5, right here, starting in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, (laughs) we have peace with God. You can't even believe. Listen. Listen. There's people running around right now, they don't even understand or reveal. You at one point didn't even understand or realize, it wasn't revealed to you, that you were at war with God. You're at war with God. But through this faith, we get peace (laughs) with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace, this divine ability. In which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's Him. We glory in tribulations. Why? Because I have faith. Because I believe. I choose to believe. It don't matter what you throw at me. I am not going to burn in the lake of fire. I'm going to spend eternity in the city of bliss. This is life is but a vapor. How many times have you been faced with a situation and there's like a, a timeline and it seems so far away and you get so frustrated and so anxious and so bent out of shape and anxiety comes and the enemy loves to rump, rump, rump in your ear and people are rump, rump, rumping because he's speaking in their ear and they're repeating it and you're getting all twisted up because you're impatient and all this stuff when really what the Bible says, if we just take the faith he given us and believe what the Bible says, we realize it's just a vapor, man, <laughs> over over. I'm going to spend forever with God. These momentary and light afflictions, the Bible calls them, because they're nothing compared to the glory that's coming. But again, that's not even continued. All you have to do is receive the gift. He just said it. The love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Some of us pigeonhole ourselves from receiving the promises and blessings of God because we have more faith in sin that Christ already dealt with. We have more faith in some a mistake we made today than what Christ nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. We exalt our error over the blood of Jesus. I'm not giving permission to sin here. What I'm saying is, believe it or don't. Either you were disqualified then and will forever be disqualified and are only qualified by his blood or not. The same faith that saves you is the same faith that keeps you. It's the same one. It all goes back to the cross. Everything we're going to be talking about, everything you're taught from this point on moving forward in your Christian walk, better be rooted and founded in faith in what I just read, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died. That when I was undeserving, he did it anyway. You think, let me ask you something. You think God had more grace and mercy on you before you believed in his son than after you believed in his son, huh? And we go on teaching people to have faith. Well, brother, if, you know, you make this mistake or that mistake, you'll bring a curse upon your life. Well, no, I believe that the blood of Jesus destroyed every yoke of bondage. How about that? How about that? I don't know a father in here that would give their son a terrible inheritance. I don't know a father in here that would give their son an inheritance of sickness and disease. And the Bible says that you aren't even good, (laughs) but that your Father in heaven is good. I'm getting ahead. It's okay. (laughs) Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You know, the Bible says that because of these deeds, and he talks about sexual immorality and all these dead works and these things, because of these deeds, it says the wrath of God rests on the sons of disobedience. And we'll get into this in Eternal Judgment, how the wrath of God is actually already resting on people that are outside of Christ. But guess who it's not resting on? Those of us in Christ. <laughs> I am in the Lamb. You are in the Lamb. You Get that. Like, like have faith. Catch this by the Holy Ghost right now. Go ahead and receive this as a gift right now. He wouldn't have me preach this to you if the faith to believe it wasn't already present. Catch this revelation right here. The lamb that all of heaven is weeping over, this seal in heaven. You know the scene in Revelations? There's a seal that isn't open. And everybody's crying crying. And weeping. Who's worthy to open the seal? Who's going to do it? And the lamb that was slain steps on the scene. And everybody's, and, and literally the angel turns to John and says, Don't weep. Behold the lamb. Guess where you are? You're in that lamb. You are in that lamb. You are in his son. I am now hidden in Christ. This life I now live, I live in Christ. Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The one thing I do, I forget about what I did back here, what was behind me yesterday, uh, an hour ago. I forget about that, and I press forward. Why do I press forward? Because I'm washed in the blood. It can't touch me anyway. I press forward. Yeah, I can't touch it. I press forward to lay hold of that which Christ has laid on me, the righteousness of God in Christ. I press forward into it because it is my portion. We get so busy. Listen, love does not keep a record of wrong. Many of us are keeping records of wrong for ourselves. We're not even loving ourselves. We're not loving, we're not, we're not receiving this thing by faith. It washed away our sins. All of his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. All of his promises. That means if it's written in here, it's mine if I believe it. But not because of my deeds or my works. If you're putting faith in your deeds and your works, you're not in new covenant thinking. Your mind is not renewed. To prove what is the will of God. You know what the will of God is? That you'd have every promise in Christ Jesus. That's the will of God. But there's a key component I just said. In Christ Jesus. It's only accessible to you with your faith in Christ. That you believe you're in him. You want to know a trustworthy heart? A trustworthy heart is one who knows they never deserved it. A trustworthy heart is not the one who set out to fasting and prayer and praying and revival comes and they think they earned it and they think they twisted God's leg, not a deserving heart. Or twisted his arm, not his leg. I don't know what you get if you twist the leg. (laughs) God's not a magician to be manipulated. He's a father to be loved. He's a father to be had. Jesus is is not a a magician to be manipulated. He's a savior who saves. He's a king who rules. He's a brother who keeps, and he's a lover of his bride. That's who he is. We need to get really, really, really far out of ourselves, guys. We need to really start believing. Get up out of yourself. You died in the baptismal. Trust that. Have faith in God, not you. Nowhere in this good news did God come and say, Hey, Jackson, have faith in Jackson. Trust in Jackson. Our essential foundational doctrine in God is not have faith in yourself, it's have faith in Christ, in the finished work of the cross. Hallelujah. We're just scratching the surface on faith. God. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your doctrine that you gave us. Thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans, but sent the spirit and not only the spirit, but gave us the words of the spirit. That is your written word, your doctrine, your foundational teachings, Lord lock in our hearts, the revelation of the doctrine of repentance from dead things, Lord, from dead works from evil deeds lord and in part inspire and equip us to know without a doubt to go ahead and lay to rest every other argument by this faith in god in jesus name i pray amen god bless you guys thank you for joining us on encounter podcast we pray it has been a blessing to you We would be honored if you would prayerfully consider supporting this ministry by becoming a monthly partner or sowing a one-time offering helping us bring the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord to the lost and the continued training and equipping of His bride, the church. For more information on how to become a partner or make a donation, please go to Encounter1078.com and click on the Donate button. Thank you, and may the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus be upon you.